Hello and welcome to the In Session Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Etzler, joined by Frederick News Post State Politics reporter, Samantha Hogan. Samantha, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's been a very interesting week, a different one from uh, any other that I've covered the State House. <laughs> right. Let's talk a little bit about that. You're getting your, your land legs back, we'll say, after a trip to Hawaii. How was that and how is now uh, getting back into the session? Well, you know, covering the General Assembly definitely is a whirlwind adventure of its own, but I have to say Hawaii might have beat it out <laughs> just a little bit. Um, it was really I'll nice dare to you. disconnect completely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's jump right into it. Um, there was some big news uh, that actually you wrote about at the beginning of the week. I think it came out in Monday's newspaper, and this was kind of in reaction to uh, the governor's budget. Um, and Crest, a higher education center here in, in Frederick, is being left out of the budget. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so right before I left um, for my trip, um, we had found out from Delegate Carol Krim uh, that the Crest, which is a STEM-based regional uh, center for essentially giving experience and graduate-level classes and PhD classes um, to people in the tech industry and in the bio industry, um, had been zeroed out in the governor's budget, and she was kind of on this fact-finding mission to find out why this had happened. And so what we had um, happened in the intervening week was she had invited the um, chairman of the board of Crest and also the director of the Frederick National Laboratory, who's um, Dr. Ethan, and then a last name that's really hard to say. Um, it starts with DM. So however you want to pronounce that, he was just going by Dr. Ethan today at the hearing, mm -hmm. and then executive director Joanne Horn. Um, and they kind of explained what had happened. And what it comes down to is that Crest has not been able to enroll enough students to meet their state goals. And how the state measures that is in FTEs, which is a full-time equivalency. And what that is, is they break down the total number of credits that are being taught and divide it by 15 in any semester. So between July of 2017 up to, uh, sorry, uh, Sorry, from June, uh, July of 2017 to July, uh, June of 2018, Crest was supposed to have enrolled 24.5 FTEs, and instead they had 0 0.7. So that means that they only got 2.85% of their goal, which is obviously very, very low. Yeah, that doesn't um, seem good. This year they are at zero, so they don't wow. have any credits being offered as of yet though that might change this summer okay so um joanne horn who is the executive director of crest said that she was hoping that that number could be improved um, by offering new bioengineering um, classes and programs um, that they're planning to bring in, which would allow students to be there year-round instead of this, just the summer, which is where they see a lot of their uh, secondary science educators and their agricultural interns that they currently cater to. Um, and I, I got the chance to speak with Delegate uh, Ken Kerr, who's obviously a freshman delegate from District 3B, and he was saying um, that there's definitely a need for Crest um, because they provide laboratory space for graduate and PhD candidates. However, its mission needs to come in line with what the Maryland Higher Education Commission, which is essentially who awards them money through the governor's budget, um, they need to come in line with what those goals are for um, 
we call it by the acronym MHAC, the Maryland Higher Education uh, Committee uh, Commission, and um, its cost per FTE is very, very high. It's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars right now, whereas other universities, you know, could be a couple thousand, uh, up to like 30,000, he was saying. So they really need to bring cost downs in order to increase that feasibility. And he said to me directly in an interview afterward, I think it needs to decide what it is and what it wants to become when it comes to crest right so lots of interesting information um probably the most noteworthy too is that it only has two hundred and six thousand dollars in the bank which will get it through about the next nine months um the delegation did agree unanimously to try and pursue uh the last three to four months that it will need to get through the year um um, Delegate Carol Krim is really going to have to shoulder a lot of this because she sits on the House Appropriations Committee. She and I talked afterwards. You know, she doesn't know how this is going to get into the budget. She doesn't know what kind of, um, you know, changes they're going to have to make in order to find the sixty to $70,000 to make up that three to four month gap. Um, And she made no promises that they'd be able to find it. But the delegation as a whole was also emphasizing to both of them, to the board and the executive director, that, you know, they need to start working on some of these deliverables. The FTE needs to increase in order for there to be any kind of guarantee or hope of them getting money next year. Otherwise, they're going to be in the exact same boat. Now, when you were talking to some of our, our legislators locally, the local delegation, did you get a sense of optimism that they could get this? I mean, sixty to seventy thousand dollars in a forty-six billion dollar budget doesn't sound like a lot, but given all of the uh, challenges they've had, it just may not seem worth it to uh, the people who are voting to put that money in. What what sense of yeah. optimism do you get? So for I them? think there's there's two there's two opinions, right? And it, it, they all kind of coalesce with one thing, which is they real everyone on the delegation seems to support the idea of Crest and mm-hmm. the and the desire to have a higher education um, opportunity locally in Frederick to meet the biotech needs for the businesses that we have here to train workers to achieve these um, higher degrees and certificates to allow to keep that that um, that brain pool here and allow them to excel locally. Um, you know, we have some pretty big names, AstraZeneca, which is right down the street from uh, uh, from the FMP. You know, so we have some big names in pharmaceutical and biotech, and we have Fort Dedrick. You know, it would be nice if they didn't have to drive down the road to. Johns Hopkins or the University of Maryland in order to get these degrees because sometimes they are not degrees that you can get at Mount St. Mary's or even Hood College. Right. So there, there is this need and Delegate Kenker really went over that, you know, y- you can't be a scientist from a distance. You need to have laboratory space. And if you have a seven o'clock class and you're also working and you maybe want to put dinner on the table for your family, those three things don't work together. So right. they, and, um, Senator Ron Young is a huge proponent for this as well. Uh, Senator Michael Huff seems to even support it. There's a lot of bipartisan support for Crest. Um, but at the same time, they said that, you know, sixty dollars to $70,000 is a drop in the bucket compared to the whole budget. But it's a huge amount of money if it's not funded through the budget. Right. So there you're kind of at this funding question where there's all these local demands for projects because we also went over bond requests today um, at the delegation meeting. Um, you know, I mean, sixty to $70,000, I mean, that's... <laughs> 
you know, a little bit less than what the, the town of Brunswick wants for a major water project. I mean, that's half of what that water project would cost. So when you compare the two things um, with the low amount of students that they have had versus like an entire town getting half of its water sources, I mean, we're not talking about drops in the bucket anymore. We're talking about, you know, big ticket price items. So um, I think there's a, a, you know, a desire to see the program, but if they don't have the funding mechanism through the state to do it, it becomes a, a big challenge. Right, right. I, I want to stick on schools, uh, some education-related topics, because there is a bit of a kerfuffle in Annapolis uh, this week. Uh, Governor Larry Hogan was was kerfuffed over the school year start <laughs> debate. Um, so as most of us know, the uh, school year in 2016, the start of the school year was bumped back uh, to after Labor Day. And um, now there's some pushback there. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So Governor Hogan in 2016 um, issued an executive order that said that all school systems need to start after Labor Day. And this has seen a pretty widespread support. Um, But now there's a bill that has picked up a lot of traction um, in the Senate that would allow um, the 24 school jurisdictions to pick their start date, whether it be before or after Labor Day. So essentially undercutting the executive order. And um, There were several attempts on Thursday to amend this bill. They were all voted down, and then the debate actually carried over into today um, when Senator Hershey, uh, who's not from Frederick County, proposed an amendment that would declare Labor Day a state school holiday. It's already a federal holiday, but we don't have it codified in law that schools are required to take it off as a state holiday. And there was some pretty strong debate, some pretty strong language that came from everyone. Um, You know, there was argument about whether they should still be debating the bill or just debating the amendment. But what it ultimately came to was that the amendment failed to declare Labor Day a state school holiday. Interestingly enough, we had some bipartisan support for the amendment here in Frederick County with Senator uh, Ron Young and Senator Michael Huff both voting in support of the amendment, which they called common sense and, you know, Um, They were both in support of. However, where they diverged was the bill overall, which um, Senator Ron Young absolutely supports and which Senator Michael Huff um, doesn't agree with. Um, Huff told me on Friday, it's just all procedural at this point because they want to pass the bill and reject all amendments. Um, And he also saw wide support for the post-Labor Day start um, on the campaign trail, which is why he was a little bit... um, I don't, I don't think upset is the right word, but, you know, he was against um, seeing this bill passed, even though there's a super majority to do that inside the Senate. Um, from his personal experience of putting his three young kids through elementary school uh, post-Labor Day start has been good. Um, Senator Ron Young, on the other hand, said that he would have preferred the amendment to make Labor Day a school uh, holiday Um, a separate bill, but the Senate filing deadline uh, for normal bill procedures was on Monday, so he understood that it was too late to kind of move forward with that, but he also saw it as a reasonable amendment. Um, He supports the bill overall. We didn't really get into why he supports the bill overall, um, but that's pretty much along party lines. And I did uh, dig in with uh, Senator Michael Huff asking, you know, this is a this is a kind of a, a flip from what we would usually see in Democratic versus Republican views. You know, usually Republicans want to see power return to lower levels and less government. But in this case, he said that um, school boards have just 
done so much to the school calendars that has been wrong that they really need some state guidance in this instance. Um, if it passes, which it looks pretty likely to do, that we don't know what it's hap- doing in the House yet, um, it's likely that Frederick County would probably move back to a pre-Labor Day schedule. Um, and our education reporter, Emma Kerr, who also spoke to some members of the Board of Education, said that they were um, supportive of seeing more flexibility in the school schedule. I'm interested, um, Alan, you used to be our education reporter. What mm-hmm. do you think about this? Yeah, so so my experience is fairly um, similar to what you've been told in that the bill, the post-Labor Day start, does have widespread support. Parents love it that they get to take their kids on an extra uh, weekend vacation. Um, and obviously people uh, make a big deal about the money that goes to Ocean City uh, because of that. The thing I think we're we're hearing and, and probably where this bill came from, I don't know what you've heard and, and who was the impetus to this bill. I know uh, Senator Pinsky is a a sponsor of it, but I, I don't know if he got this, um, uh, I don't want to say pressure. I'm, I'm, if people were reaching out to him that were on school boards, I, I think the school boards are the one who want, uh, to just have the control very well. Many of them might say, let's start post labor day, but they want to be able to set the calendar because they have so many requirements of which they have, they have to meet. Um, I remember in a, a, um, a board of education session last year, President Brad Young said something along the lines of, I would either prefer the state set the entire calendar or none of it. Um, and I think they just want uh, one or the other. They want to have all of the control or none of the control, not some control, because then it becomes too much of a push and pull um, with the with the state. And then it's interesting, too, right, because, you know, every county is so varied when it comes to meeting their local needs. When Western Maryland may get more snow days, it was mentioned, than the Eastern Shore or Southern Maryland, just based on our topography. But then also you got to look at um, the school populations. I was just speaking with um, the education reporter, Emma Kerr, and she was saying, you know, there have been Jewish students and Muslim students that have come to the school board and asked why their religious holidays aren't school holidays. And right. the one we consistently hear about is the fair day and Yom <laughs> Kippur. Yeah. Um, overlapping and you know it, it, it does become a question you know what day do we get off do we uh, do we do fair day which has a you know local significance or do you try and integrate some other religious holidays and where is that balance and so i think maybe that just you know really has driven the local pre post labor day debate here in frederick county right i, I totally agree the there was an uproar uh, last year when the Board of Education, maybe it was two years ago now, I can't keep track of when I was on that beat, um, when they had initially decided that they were going to have school on Yom Kippur and give uh, students fair day off, there was a huge uproar in the religious community, and uh, ultimately the school board did back down, and they kind of combined them into uh, fair day on on the day that Yom Kippur fell, so they would kind of get both days. It was sort of a compromise with the hope that from the Farm Bureau, the hope was that, um, or from the Fair Committee, sorry, the, the hope was that uh, fair day would be recognized at some point in the future. So I think they would probably uh, like to see something like this also. 
Absolutely. So we'll go. Or I think that the the Board of Education has kind of reserved its judgment beyond the fact that it would give them flexibility. Um, but it would definitely be interesting to look into this further. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I want to I want to move on um, real quick. Um, delegate Pippi, who is another freshman delegate, has introduced. It sounds like this is his first bill, right? And if I remember right, he told me this would be his first bill. Well, he it definitely was something that he wanted to be his first bill, though. Um, he has, you know, led the charge a little bit as a freshman delegate, really trying to put his name out there and, you know, put out some legislation. Um, but he mentioned today um, an ethics bill. Um, this is something that we've been expecting since the beginning of session from him, which is a text amendment to the bill that passed last year that essentially gives um, uh, board appointees the opportunity to close a campaign finance ca account um, before joining the board. Um, rather than not being able to accept that position or if they're sitting on a board to close their campaign finance um, account before having instead of having to resign from the position. Um, I don't know, Alan, if you could give us a little background on on how this actually uh, uh, affected Delegate Jesse Pippi right. um, not too long ago. Yeah, for sure. It was a big part of his his uh, campaign was a big issue of whether or not he, some people questioned whether he should be able to run at the time. Uh, so Senate Bill 289, which was passed uh, last session and took effect July 1st of 2018, uh, requires members of, and this is a, a Frederick County specific bill, uh, requires uh, members of the Board of Zoning Appeals, the Ethics Commission, the Planning Commission, or the Liquor Board to step down from those boards within 48 hours of opening a campaign finance account, which is essentially an indicator that you'll be running for some sort of office. Um, the, the confusion for uh, Delegate Jesse Pippi came because he had opened a campaign finance account in 2014. So he had opened a campaign finance account. He didn't open a new one. Uh, and so he was wondering if the bill still applied to him. Um, ultimately, he ended up stepping down from the position anyway, but this bill would essentially make it clear that he needs to either step down or close the account. Um, exactly. So. And I think, it, it, you know, it's not him trying to make any kind of statement about his uh, the op the situation that he went through, but essentially to provide clarity for right. the next individual who this might happen to. So it's not saying that you can keep it open. It's not saying that you have to resign. It's it's filling in that gray area, like what the proper procedure is right. um, if you're in that position and giving um, giving people options essentially right. without clouding um any of those positions with campaign finance and and money <laughs> right right and and he took some flack uh during the this was during the primary process uh for not immediately stepping stepping down i should clarify it wasn't him arguing that he should be able to stay on it was him saying the liquor board is going through a transition right now i want to help us through the transition before i step down i would obviously step down if i got elected to office so that was his reasoning uh, uh for that but but uh to move on uh quick um Monday was the, the last day for senators to drop bills, right? That's right. And actually today, Friday, was the uh, last day for the House as well. And we saw a huge influx right. of bills come in. I was actually sitting next to a gentleman that works in the bill office down in the Department of Legislative Services. And they're still waiting on a bunch of them to be printed. And wow. he was he was telling me about um, just this experience working there. He was a very nice gentleman. Um, I hope that when I go to pick up a bill, I, I run into him again. Um, 
Um, but yeah, there's been a huge influx. Um, some of those have been coming from our representatives here in Frederick County. I'm still going through all of them, but I did want to just highlight um, two um, because I think that they have some local impact and are, are interesting. One of them would require the County Board of Education to disclose a list of candidates or post the names publicly on a website um, when it's interviewing to fill a um, vacant seat. Now, this is interesting because this is coming directly out of County Executive Jan Gardner's um, process to nominate a candidate uh, to fill Delegate uh, Ken Kersey after he um, was obviously elected to office in November, um, but he had been sitting on the Board of Education and they uh, they needed to fill his vacant seat. She, did, she opted not to release those names, um, citing potential embarrassment of uh, candidates if they weren't selected, but um, uh, Council Member Phil Dacey, you know, kind of was upset that we didn't get to know publicly who these candidates were and how could they how could the council then determine if the best candidate had been selected if the most qualified candidate had been selected um so he approached uh senator michael huff he decided um at the beginning of the session to look into how this could be changed of of, uh, originally he thought he was going to be looking at the public uh, maryland public information act um but it looks like he's doing Doing just a more simple bill that would say that they have to release those names to anyone that requested them or post it publicly on a website. This does have statewide implications, though. This is not a Frederick County delegation bill, so this would apply to all school boards. And potentially, um, he said this could also apply to the governor because he is in charge of appointing some uh, school board members for other jurisdictions. Right. Um, Huff also has another interesting bill, which would require the Board of um, Elections this time to disclose a rolling total of votes at the end of each day as it counts its absentee ballots. The idea actually came to him um, when we had very tight county council races uh, this uh, past November, and he would contact individuals and say, well, what's the count as of today? And when they say, well, we don't have a count because we're not done with the canvas. So this would allow uh, daily totals to be released. Um, he said it's not because he doesn't trust our board of elections. Actually, he thinks that we run a very good process but this is a transparency thing this would also be statewide um and so that's just two interesting things that senator uh, michael huff has dropped um right before the filing deadline i, I want to bring up the the uh, board of education bill real quick um why specifically the board of education have you gotten a sense of that why specifically the board of education and not all boards or commissions of to which people are appointed well, because I think this is, it comes down to an elected position, right? And this is, has been the local debate the entire time that this has gone on. If you are a voter, you get to look at the list of candidates, you get to have heard them campaign, and then you get to cast a vote. Well, there's, why would it not then be an equally transparent and public process when the county executive gets to fill that position or make a recommendation for who should fill that position to the county council? So I guess it's 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 that transparency that voters would have had had that individual had to run a campaign and, uh, and gone to the voting booth. Right. OK. And speaking on the Board of Elections, Bill, I know we're not supposed to take uh, positions, but as somebody who was covering the election, gosh, that would have been helpful. I know it would have, <laughs> you know, instead of um, our uh, county politics reporter having to call the Board of Elections every single day and try right. and find out where we were. 
you know, just having having that level of transparency, I think voters would also appreciate. I think it was a it was more than a week of, you know, kind of fingernail biting for a lot of these groups. And I think for citizens, too, I mean, you get fatigue at the end of an election. It's right. We do so much in the lead up. But then to not have an answer for more than a week or not have an update was was frustrating. Right. Exactly. Totally agree. Um, let's look forward real quick. What do you see coming up uh, in the next week? Yeah, so uh, just two things to keep a watch on on the horizon. County Executive Jan Gardner will be in Annapolis next week to discuss uh, the county's transportation priorities. Um, Our development reporter Ryan Marshall will have a story in tomorrow's paper about those priorities if you want to take a sneak peek at them. But there seems to be a lot of interest from the delegation um, to expand US 15 through the city of Frederick. I'll be interested to see what else she brings forward um, as the priorities and how the delegation responds to them. You know, um, Governor Hogan has a much larger transportation plan that would affect um, I-270, which there seems to be mixed support of because it would include public private uh, toll lanes and you know it's the question of congestion versus our environmental and greenhouse gas needs in the area should we be expanding mass transit should we be incentivizing private cars is our tolls you know disincentivizing private vehicle use does it you know it becomes a social economical question but there does seem to be pretty unanimous support for expansion of i of us 15 so they're just it's interesting things you know transportation is never one-sided in this uh, in this <laughs> county so no. we'll be watching that closely for people and then also bond bills um we're going to be voted on later this month um we had many organizations come and plead their case about why they should be um, given some money there's about 15 million dollars in the state budget for local priorities that breaks out to seven and a half million per chamber Um, the delegation has agreed that they're going to meet by um, district and rank their priorities and then they're going to meet again and the bond bills are going to be heard in uh, mid-march I'm going to give the honest truth to everyone that I was told today, which is that there's too many local priorities for the funding. (laughs) So some people are not going to be funded this year. And that's kind of unfortunate because we have a range of like really good projects that have been proposed. There's uh, water repairs for the city of Brunswick. There's an opioid recovery center, um, Bocce and Baker Park. And there's even um, several historic preservation projects. And so it's going to be interesting to see what rises to the top. Right, for sure. I, I Regarding the transportation, I think the only thing anybody in Frederick County can agree on on transportation is that traffic sucks. Um, <laughs> the bond bills will be will be super interesting. Uh, we talked the last time I was on, um, you pack your lunch. So I was told not to ask that question, but you went to Hawaii for a week. So what's the best thing you ate in Hawaii? Okay. Um, there are toffee-covered macadamia nuts. And it's not macadamian, which I was like corrected <laughs> multiple times on. It's macadamia uh-huh. nuts. Um, and they are delectable. And we played uh, Settlers of Catan <laughs> and ate them on several evenings. So I have to say that was a very, very pleasant way to spend, you know, the uh, time after dinner. Um, and then, oh, I also had some of the freshest pokey that I've ever had. And that was very good, too. I'm not usually a raw fish individual, but there's something about Hawaiian ahi tuna that is <laughs> very, very good. 
I and bet. I, as an environmental reporter, I've read way too much about us fishing tuna <laughs> to like ever eat it on a regular basis. I, you know, I try and avoid it. I try and eat our our lower impact white fishes, but um, it was it was very good. Both those things were very good. <laughs> Well, I, I won't say this about the tuna, but regarding the macadamias, um, everyone at the Frederick News Post would have appreciated some, and you didn't bring any back for us. so I, I didn't, though <laughs> maybe maybe I'll put some in a smaller bag, and I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll bring them in to share. All right, All right we're, <laughs> looking forward, we're looking maybe. forward to and that potential Maybe, and then I can, I can get your guys' opinion on them, too. Yeah, okay. All right, um, that's all the time we have. Samantha, appreciate you joining us. Uh, have, a, have a great session uh, next week. Thank you so much, and I'll, uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you all again next week. Awesome. Sounds good. Okay.